I was uh, thinking for a couple of weeks about uh, the power of the gospel working in our lives. And, you know, over the last few weeks, we've talked about that. And uh, last week, we talked about particularly what the gospel does to money. Today, we want to talk about what the gospel does to, uh, to relationships. Um, I was thinking a lot about that. Then I was reading the Herald, uh, I think, on Friday, came across an article by Andre Flock. Uh, just the season for tension and family spats when you think about Christmas. <laughs> so it is a time that we long to be together. It's also a time when some of the dynamics that have operated in our families uh, push to the surface and they, they become strained. Huh? Uh, so there's a mixed message in, in all of that. But the gospel does change things for us. But it takes courage to receive that. I was just thinking this morning as I was leaving my house and uh, I stopped in the passage, took a picture of, uh, um, of the graduation moment when I graduated with my doctorate uh, back in 89 or 90, somewhere around there, but how many years ago, and uh, feeling very grateful to God that I had the opportunity to study like that, but realizing that uh, this picture in some measure had a bit of a stoic element to it because I wasn't smiling, I wasn't laughing, I, and I had to acknowledge myself as I reflected on that, why was that? Well, I, I mean, I appreciated the opportunity of studying and, and doing all that. It was a great exercise. But there's another reason that I had to acknowledge that I did it, was uh, there was a quest for a level of validation in it. Is this enough? Does this show that I was worth having, if you know what I'm saying? I don't know what you do for validation, but I, I have to acknowledge that that is one of the things that I did for validation at a certain level. At another level, it was profoundly equipping but not nearly as profoundly equipping as my encounter with God at the Tennessee River three and a half years later. That really empowered me far more in terms of an authentic faith and engagement with God, the revelation of his love, which is the ongoing demonstration of the gospel to us. So the gospel is what Jesus did, and it is motivated by the love of God, but uh, uh, it's an ongoing we receive that by faith, but it's an ongoing effect as we receive increasing revelations of his love, uh, dispelling some of our fears and anxieties and propensities that we would lean into otherwise. I was just thinking about Maria. She's probably with a little one now, but she's, uh, she's part Cherokee. You know that about that <laughs> Indian girl. And there's a story told of uh, the initiation uh, experience, the rite of passage for a Cherokee boy. And he has to be blindfolded and sit in the forest for a night. Whole night through, blindfolded, hearing the noises uh, and uh, animal sounds and all kinds of things going on, uh, you know, spiritual and natural and whatever. And he's sitting with his thoughts blindfolded and he's petrified, but he's got to stare down his fears. This is part of his, his rite of passage. And the story told uh, the next morning in this particular case when they took the blindfold off, the boy discovered his father was sitting right next to him all the time, had never left him. So all his thoughts through the night were just thoughts. And sometimes the things we fear are not substantial. They're, they're, they're just uh, possibilities. But uh, the presence of God changes all of them. So courage comes to us on the back of, of the revelation of God's love, which is perfect and casts out fear. So we need to think about that a whole lot more. Franklin Roosevelt said that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And they say that courage is an, is an inside job. Uh, the outside storm can't actually affect it because it's internally determined by the revelation of God's love seeded into us. Um, it's also been said that courage is something you always have uh, until you need it. <laughs> then you figure out, have I really got it? You know, it comes at you in that kind of way. Um, 
<laughs> they say the Supreme Court of the United States uh, gives a husband the right to open his wife's letters, but it doesn't give him the courage. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, there's a guy who signed up for the military, and as, at the, as an inductee, he, he was asked some questions. And when they, when they asked him if he had any physical defects, he replied, no guts. <laughs> That's the defect, eh? But we need to learn to let the love of God seep deep into us and then like the tortoise, stick our necks out and make progress. Because it only makes progress when it sticks his neck out. And those who know that God will be strong and do courageous, amazing things. In fact, it's also he said courage is, the, is being the only one who knows that you're afraid. That's courage. Uh, yeah. And in terms of groupthink, the test of courage comes when you are in the minority. The test of tolerance comes when you're in the majority. There's a good balancing factor for us here, and we need to be processing what this means for our own, <clears throat> our own faith. A French philosopher once said, he who fears he will suffer already suffers because of his fear. So we're going into holiday season, and we're going to be thinking a lot more about the implications of the word becoming flesh, dwelling amongst us. Um, there's a... Academy Award writer who said, I think we worry about failure too much. I don't think that failure very often can hurt anybody. It's the fear of failure that will absolutely destroy you. The fear of failure. It holds you right back. Yeah, so the, the call for us is to press in and uh, let the love of God dispel all our fears and uh, cause us to rise up differently from where we would have been. And we lived in our own timidity and our addiction to safety. And I want to say well done to those who've come back amongst us today. Hey? Great to see you again. Nice to especially welcome Bjorn and Jess. I think that's the first time I've seen them back. I think I'm back. Is that back there? We are waving from the couch. Good for you, Jess. Lovely to have you guys back. Hey? And uh, I see Paul, uh, Paul and Lauren here too. Good to have you guys back, Paul. Nice to have you with us. And so many others that have visited us today over the past and have come back. We are grateful for the togetherness. So the, the thing I want to dig into is the, the, the power of this gospel, the Christmas message, as the gospel breaks into our human experience, what does it do for us? Well, many, many things. And I'd like to just quickly just run through a, 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 just a quick list of examples of what it does in people's lives, uh, biblical examples predominantly, and then open up the, the questions to how it actually does that. How does the gospel actually do this? So some quick things, first of all, the, the gospel sets aside the, the commitment to secrecy because to be forgiven, you need to confess something. To confess it, you need to own it. And then you come out of the closet and you say, this is where I was wrong. And that's the transparency. So the gospel bans secrecy from our lives. It brings us into a new place of willingness to be known. And we acknowledge our need of God. I think Joseph sorting out his brothers and their broken relationship and dealing with his family secret. And family secrets are one of the reasons why Christmas gatherings can be very toxic for people because those, uh, those secrets are still there. No speak areas and, and strange attitudes that you've got to walk around. Um, and the secrecy is a, is, a, is a hindrance. And wherever that is exposed, people come into a fresh place um, and grow, grow up. How about uh, if, if there's an actual script in Philippians 4, verse 2 and 3. Paul writes, I plead with Theodia and I plead with Synchogy to agree with each other in the Lord. 
Yes, and I ask you, loyal Yokefellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Some biblical scholar changed his name slightly, so I plead with your odious, Yodia, huh? and I plead with Suntachi. <laughs> Sometimes we have these dynamics in our families. There's some odious things and there's some touchy people and touchy subjects that need to be processed. And until we do, we stay juvenile. We never grow up. And whole families can be infantile experiences unless we face these things, own them, and grow beyond them. That's another thing. I just feel like God wants to bring us to that place that uh, the gospel sets us free from the passivity of just accepting what is broken as if that's where it needs to stay. By the way, that, that phrase about fearing not as a command is given 365 times in the Greek Bible. It's including the Septuagint going to the New Testament. 60, and 365 times, once for every single day of our lives. That, uh, our capitulation to fear is a, is a denial of the gospel. We need to be courageous to own it and to face it. Um, I think the other thing that uh, we can see that the gospel does to our relationships is it calls us to exercise godly boundaries. Like, for instance, because it's grace and truth that come by Christ, the gospel comes in grace and truth. Um, the gospel prevents us from, from uh, receiving the blessing of God if we marry unequally yoked. It wants us to be common in faith that Christ is centered to our relationships, for example, and boundaries about on, on moral grounds and all sorts of ways. Uh, these are expressions of love, expressions of the gospel, awakening us to what is good, not because we ought to, but because there's a new want to that's awakened in us in gratitude. The entire Christian life is meant to be lived, motivated by gratitude rather than a desire to please God. Because if we are grateful, we will be pleasing to Him. But if we're doing things because we have, been, we have this echo voice, do this, do that, do the other, God will bless you, we actually miss out. But it's been done for us and, and in response to that in gratitude. Even, and we've seen this happen uh, over the last number of years here. We've had a number of people for, for various reasons and we have been divorced. And so the scriptures would, would guide us as to how do we manage that? How do we manage uh, when marriages are not going well? And there are at least three cases in scripture of, of adultery, abuse, apostasy, for example. Um, and so the gospel helps us to work with clearer minds on, on ethical issues and relational issues. And um, in fact, we've tried to work that out. And so what do the gospel mean for divorcees amongst us? We, well, we hope the church can be big enough and mature enough and have enough depth of grace to receive both sides of that marital argument in the same fellowship. And we sought to do that as best as we've been able. And there have been many success, uh, if I can say, stories on the back of that. That's so important. We also see the gospel uh, engaging people throughout scripture on crucial conversations. Peter having Jesus talk to him, asking him some hard questions. Who do men say that I am? What do you say? Peter owns that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then a few moments later, having Jesus having affirmed that, uh, a few moments later, uh, Jesus is, is having to confront Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan, because Peter is so uh, ambiguous in, in his early stage of his faith and, and not clear cut. But uh, it, the gospel enabled uh, Peter and Jesus to have crucial conversations, even um, getting into what we call a tunnel of chaos, where you say, let's talk this thing out. And there are times when we've seen that happen biblically. We've also seen how the gospel has inspired humility and made humility far more uh, normative for the way God's called us to live with teachability. Um, I think of Mary Magdalene 
And, and uh, uh, she was held up as one of the prime examples of, of, the, of the believing family. We who believe would be like her. And uh, her humility is what was accoladed. Um, I think the gospel also has come, if you read Romans 14, to help us sort out the big issues from the little issues. And we don't major on the minors. We figure them out. And we allow for diversity uh, in the midst of our unity. We don't need uniformity. So we, we're very different. Aren't you glad we're different, eh? If you look around this room, uh, different lifestyles, different expressions. Um, sorting out the little issues from the big issues. Making space for diversity. Uh, I think the gospel also has been evidenced in, in uh, helping us to see failure as a learning opportunity, uh, not as an eternal judgment and statement. As Jesus in Luke 5, for instance, when the disciples had fished all night, caught nothing, he says, go again. And they say, because you say so, and you say to the deep water, so they go, and they catch a huge catch. Or same with his encounter at the end of John's gospel with Peter, having, having been warned and then fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus, denying him three times, Jesus then fixes him up from the, he, from the brokenness with a healing engagement. Uh, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times he's affirmed. So the gospel makes space for us to fail forward, to fail in a way that we can learn and grow better from it. How many of you have failed at anything? Anybody? As a matter of interest, how many of you failed your first attempt at your learner's license or driver's license? Just like every South African hand goes up on that one, eh? Yeah. So failure, we can learn from it, eh? I think the other thing, just uh, quickly in, by way of, st in, is how the gospel enhances intimacy. The gospel makes us better lovers. It makes us far better lovers uh, because the fruit of the Spirit are very helpful in the area of, of intimacy. They help us to be what we need to be. Uh, that we are lovers and, and we're not having intimacy on any other basis of lust or whatever, but purely uh, out of gratitude for the affections God has put in us. Um, and, and we could read the song, songs all about that. There's a whole, we preached the whole section about that. Um, it's an intimacy that, that is not about control, but about caring for each other. Um, and I think we can also clearly say from many scriptures how the gospel births hope. It is so powerful. The resurrection of Christ, which is the culmination of the earthly expression of the gospel as he rose again, because Christ is raised, our faith is not in vain. And we have a, an eternal statement that has gone out now, historically rooted for all time, that will enable us to know that they, though they might kill the body, they can't touch our souls. That's our, our safe place with God. We are secured in him, and we have a, uh, a protectiveness in that area. So... As we think about these things, I, and, and I've spent the whole week thinking uh, about people I know that have allowed the gospel powerfully to turn their lives around. Darren, I was thinking about you, you know. I was thinking about you and things you went through over the last uh, number of years and the resilience that has come in your life and the teachability, the humility. And I bless you for that, eh? for responding. And the gospel brought you into a better place and uh, actually gave you a great wife as well, by the way. So. Have that one for nothing. <clears throat> and just to say, I think you need know, Leanne is my PA with regard to our, our national uh, leadership, and uh, you've done a great job. Uh, you, she just is, is outstanding. So well done, Lee. Appreciate you so much. Um, and just looking over this side, yeah, Debbie, you have a, a, a bitter cup sometimes it feels like to, to drink from, and yet you do it with such grace. 
Lord bless you and give you ongoing courage, especially Michael Anderson is away at the moment, so may you be courageous in the, the load you carry. Um, and I salute your faith in God, because that's your strength. Eh? Amen. So I'm surrounded, right side, left side, people that are leaning to the gospel, and the gospel is making change in their lives, affecting them. How does it do that? Well, here's the deal. <clears throat> your view of God is reflected in your relationships. How you relate to others tells us what you believe about God. A.W. Tozer says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It will be the, the motivating factor in how we connect with the people in our lives. Uh, and it sets us free from all kinds of, of strange ways, uh, broken ways of relating. Let's just flip open to John chapter 1. Just read the, that Christmas passage, John 1 through uh, 1 verse, uh, verse, verse 10 to 14. <clears throat> he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will but born of God the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What a wonderful description of the inbreak of, of God in the incarnate form of Jesus as babe in such humility and fragility. But that's the thing about the gospel. It's not a militant thing. It comes in subversively, you might say. He's coming in like a seed has infiltrated humanity and uh, Century after century is bringing more and more uh, uh, people into this new humanity and a new Adam is taking shape globally. And we praise God for that. And the church is very much part of the plan for that. Um, but here's the, here's the three things I'd like us to, to understand today. How does the gospel affect relationship? How does it bring it about? What is, not just what does it do, but how does it do it? And the first is this. The gospel is this amazing declaration of acceptance unconditional acceptance we started this church back in january 85 and uh, we, we we made it mandatory reading amongst a few other things a book by jerry cook and stanley baldwin love acceptance and forgiveness you might remember that janice keith you remember those days steve oh, yeah. love acceptance and forgiveness we we were we were rooted in this amazing uh mystery our god accepts us Romans 5.13 says that he accepts us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. It's that deep acceptance. And, um, and we don't earn a thing. Matthew 20, Jesus gives a parable about a guy who goes and hires laborers. And they agree to a wage. And, uh, and then two hours later, he hires more. And throughout the day, every hour or two, he's hiring more. And the guy who hires at the 11th hour, when it comes to payday, he gets the same pay. Huh? Doesn't feel right there, Kruven. It's not fair. You work 10 hours longer, 11 hours longer than the others. But this is the thing. It's a parable Jesus says, and John Wimby, he made one of his major statements that he said again and again, the pay is the same. The ground of the cross is level. We all come through the same acceptance of God through Jesus Christ. And he says, guess what? I love you. In spite of anything you've ever been, I just choose to accept you. The unconditional acceptance of God is the, the, the first mechanism which the gospel affects our relationships. Unconditional acceptance. I made a faux pas. How many have ever said a stupid thing? Anybody ever said something stupid? 
I, I remember I was just too much, some, you know, how sometimes to keep your shape. And then I was standing in the pulpit and realizing, and, and I spoke before I thought. I said, round is also a shape. And there was a family with us that was really having weight issues. It was their first Sunday with us. And they never came back. <laughs> so I, I blew somebody right out of the church my first Sunday with them being present just by acknowledging that, you know, in some kind of derogatory way. I was making a joke of it, but um, sometimes we say some stupid things. Here's the deal. God accepts us, not only in our right weight band, but he accepts us unconditionally. Okay? When you know that, you can ease in gratitude, ease into all the plans and, and, and purposes that he has for you. You can ease into that because it doesn't require your performance. Freely we receive, so freely we give. It's a, it's a free and gratis deal here for us in the gospel. In fact, um, John 3.16, which you probably all know so well, hey, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Do you remember that whole passage? How about this? This is the religious take of that uh, uh, performance-based take, you could say, of that scripture. For God was so mad at the world that he sent his son to come down and tell them to shape up. That soever, whosoever would shape up would have eternal life. Indeed, God did send his son into the world to condemn it in order that the world might be saved through good works. But isn't that the message that oftentimes is being proclaimed? If you can shape up, you can be here. But think about it. And then they said to Jesus in a couple of places, and Luke who was a physician, he was very conscious of this, when they challenged Jesus why he was having this meal with this, like this Pharisee that it was uh, uh, and, and evil, and, and yet there was the others that were objecting, and, and how's he going into this? In that one particular case, I'm of a tax collector, and we spoke last week about Zacchaeus. So how does, how does this work? Uh, if if the gospel is meant to be um, uh, a place where people live right, that's what the gospel does. How do we get there? Well, the first foundation is acceptance. And Jesus says that I didn't come to call uh, the righteous, but the, the unrighteous, those, the needy. The, uh, the hospital is for sick people. And where do they get their medicine in order to be well, to be healed, but by coming as they are broken, huh? You know, the prodigal son story in Luke 15 is a fascinating story from many, many different angles. But it actually zooms in on the last part because it's really more about a prodigal, extravagantly loving father than this extravagantly wasteful son. A parable should be called prodigal father because prodigal means extravagant, uh, generous, and uh, excessive. But Jesus in that parable actually zooms in on the attitude of the older brother. He was actually zooming in on, on the, uh, the stupidity of the father to give away off his goods to an unreliable uh, son and, and the, the, the decrepitness of the son who wastes it all in, in far country living and ends up eating pig food. And now, father, you want to throw a party for him? I've served you all these years. I've done good. I never got the party. Didn't even give me a goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But Jesus was making this point that I alluded to earlier. It's not our sin that actually separates us from God supremely, but our self-righteousness. Our self-righteousness, because sin underlies it anyway. But our self-righteousness, when we've got this thing right, and those who are right will be with us, and those that are not right won't be with us. And uh, uh, it is essentially what that parable is saying. It is the refusal of grace. Because self-righteousness refuses grace. It turns us away from God to self to our self-validation. Uh, we are worth loving. Well, 
Can you not just catch the, the essence of this? That the gospel comes because you don't deserve it. Okay? That's why it's good news. Otherwise, it would be a reward for something you did well. It's not a reward. It's a, it's a gift. And as many as receive that gift begin the transformation in their relationships. Augustine put it like this. He says, by loving us, God makes us lovable. When we know his love and we receive that, the lovable begins to take take shape and others around us start to love us also. So that's the first thing that, that the gospel works by is acceptance. The second thing that it works by is forgiveness. And forgiveness presupposes something has been exposed that needs to be forgiven. So there's truth that comes in. The gospel works with the truth that sets us free. You know the truth and the truth will make you free. Um, and we need to embrace the, uh, the uh, this forgiveness factor. But you can't get forgiven. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So as we are able to work with the basis on which God forgives, we are able to receive clarity. So it means as we confess our sins one to another and pray for another, we are healed. Healing takes place. Forgiveness flows. It's been described, at, uh, declared that forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom. It's, that's the air we breathe uh, is, is forgiveness. Again, have you ever offended anyone? Hey? Have you ever been offended? Hey? And the need for forgiveness, the need for processing those things, that's what grows us up, and the gospel empowers that. It empowers us to grow up before we grow old. How many of you come from the 60s generation of music? 60s and 70s? Yeah, there we go, Steve. All right. Dawn, you guys. Do you remember the peanut butter conspiracy? The PBC? Do you remember them? They sang a song. I won't sing it. I'll just tell you about it. Understanding is the best thing in the world. Do you remember that? Put it on and listen to it. I was thinking about it. I thought, let me put it on PBC and just listen to this understanding. It's the best thing in the world. Well, the song doesn't go to the depths of it, but it, it's making a good statement. Understanding. And understanding <clears throat> in this context of the gospel is a, is a recognition <clears throat> of the call to know truth and forgive. So grace and truth come by Jesus Christ understanding and then there's a third ingredient that the gospel works to bring about a change in us and, and it inspires hope with the gospel there's always the statement that there's more to come the best is yet to be hey? the gospel leads us to a conviction that uh, this world ain't seen nothing yet of the increase of his government and of peace there'll be no end that's what christmas is saying Isaiah, Isaiah 9 hey? jesus has come to to declare that uh, he's going he's not going to fail Nothing's going to change. I love the songs, some of the songs we were singing this morning in the, in the worship set. They spoke of many of these truths. Eh? Nothing's going to stop this. And uh, don't, don't get nervous. Don't chew your nails about the, the volatility or unreliability of the gospel. It is completely reliable. The gospel has been released upon the earth, and it will accomplish that to which he sends it. The gospel is going to win the day. It may not be in this day, but the day. And the time will come when every knee will bow Every tongue will confess, and we will have a celebration of that which we hope for becoming reality. And so the, the gospel works in our relationship in the same way it inspires hope in us. Uh, again, I spoke about Zacchaeus last week, and the change for Zacchaeus happened when he looked across that table, and he saw mirrored in the eyes of Jesus, the Zacchaeus he could be. There was a look in the friendship of Jesus uh, in the what we call the vitamin A, the acceptance, affirmation, appreciation, and, and affection of Jesus. 
that caused Zacchaeus to say yes. And he stood up and gave half his goods to the poor, became biblical in his value system, paid back four times as much. And there was this, this transformation because hope had been kindled in him. We live by hope, eh? Man's search for meaning. We need the meaning of hope. We need that in our lives. Hey, remember that woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. And they say to Jesus, the law commands for her to be stoned. And, and, he's, and then he, he, uh, he doodles on the sand. And eventually they drift. And he says, let him without sin throw the first stone. And he waits a little longer. And then he looks up and asks the woman, where are those who would condemn you? And she says, there are none, Lord. They've all gone. And he says, well, neither do I. So here we have the gospel breaking and overriding the law and demand and just coming in with such powerful declaration that I, don't, I didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. What a powerful message we've got. What a powerful message. And, uh, and then he says to her, neither do I. So now you're free to go and sin no more. He seeded her with hope that she could live free of this baggage and condemnation and accusation and shame that had been heaped upon her by religious thinkers. It is a new day. An irreligious Messiah had broken in upon humanity and was bringing a new message that, that although to acknowledge the law, superseded it. Because the law, you must understand, was only a guideline. It was never intended to save us. You understand that? God never thought that man could ever achieve it. But he wanted to, he wanted to use that which would be a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to show us our need of a Savior who only he himself could be perfect with regard to the law. And what does he say? The perfect one says, neither do I condemn you. My grace overrides that, and I'll set you free. You're now free to go and be different. I just love the, the hope that comes through the gospel. And Jesus, <clears throat> with his conversations with Peter, even warns Peter, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna deny me. This is going to happen. I've, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed, and I'll continue praying. Jesus' intercessionary ministry began uh, in that declaration already that he would be praying for Peter. And he says, and when you are converted, don't you love that saying? When hope has come into you, and I see it's coming, and you will be converted, and then you will be able to have a ministry. It's the things that uh, we're able to have put under the scrutiny of acceptance and forgiveness that actually brings us a place where you have hope to impart to others. And somebody asks you, as I often get asked, so what do you do for a business? I say, I trade in hope. <laughs> that's what I do. I'm, I'm a hope trader. Because that's the gospel, huh? It's because of Jesus. We're hope traders. That's what we are. And we help people get there by acceptance and forgiveness. And the forgiveness, as I say, requires truth. Because you need to know what is it that you're forgiving. So Julian of Norwich, one of the early church fathers, said the greatest honor we can give to God is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. To live gladly. Don't you love that phrase? Uh, that the, uh, the gospel changes our relationship to an extent that we live gladly. We, we live with an expectation of, of more, of change, of uh, a new day. All things have passed away. All things become new. We have this hope within us. And uh, we must be ready always to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Eh? Always ready. Yesterday I was just driving back from seeing someone out of town, out on the N2. And as I came on the N2, there was, I just saw that about 300 meters ahead of me, there was this cloud of dust. I thought, why is there dust? It's not, it's not smoke, it's dust. And I looked at it, it's that section where just before Bay West, it's all been burnt. And I got close, I realized an accident had just happened and the car was busy rolling. So I hauled over to the middle of the road, jumped out, ran over, with, and was quickly joined by seven or so other people. 
two or three of the ladies took the little kitties. It was a baby and two other small little girls, three girls. And, uh, uh, and there was this, the mother was pinned under the car lying on the side. A Fortuna as well. Can you believe that? Eh? <laughs> I didn't think Fortuna drivers rolled the cars. Uh, and, and, the, and she was pinned under the car. So about seven of us stood back and, and pushed and, and shoved. We, we couldn't stop pushing. You, had to, you couldn't bring it back on her. You had to, once you started the push, you had to get it going. We got it off her, pushed the car over. And miraculously, had no broken bones. Nothing broken on this girl. Uh, and then she said, where's my husband? And then I realized was, there were more people. And I looked, I couldn't see him. But about 40 meters away lay this guy on the other side. He got flung out way about 40 meters on the other side. So what am I telling you that? What I want to say to you, when we turn our hearts to God, we can trust Him in all circumstances. And there will be people who will come to our aid and will push the load off of us and give us a fresh start in life. And you'll get your family back and you'll be able to move forward and your relationships can be healed. I want to say as we, as we close off this message today and as we, we think about being with our loved ones and friends and, and people that we want to spend time with over this next uh, holiday season, um, know this, your life can be changed if you accept that God is not mad at you. For too long the gospel, supposed gospel message has gone out to say God is mad at us, we must preach law before we preach grace. Well, only if you want to help people know how much they need the Savior, but actually... Uh, if they meet the Savior, the love they find in His face is so motivational for transformation. It changes us. You know, imagine you, you're a bachelor and you've been too long a bachelor and you really long for a wife. And then uh, you meet this German girl. And you think, German, I'll take it on. But she says, yeah, you've got to speak my language. And you find German very difficult to speak. And she, so she grills you every day. You've got to speak my language. You've got to speak my language. Read these books. Read these books. Until one day you just wake up the realization that she's actually willing to marry you. And a love breaks out upon you. Not just a desire for a partner, but now you're in love with that German girl. And suddenly the motivation for learning German is accelerated. And you become a teacher of others of German. <laughs> My point is that love is a far better motivator than laws, demands, checklists, and things like that. Hey? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, encourage each other and stir each other up by all means, by all means, but let it always be based on the fact that God is not mad at us. And He doesn't want us to be mad at each other. He wants us to live with an acceptance. And if I can close it with this, Jeremiah 32, verse 41, He says, I delight to do my people good. That's God's heart desire, to do his people good. He desires that. That's what he delights in. So the best thing we can do uh, is to live gladly because of his love. Eh? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what a powerful gospel that you have come in Jesus and you have taken our sin, penalty, and you're setting us free from having to bluff ourselves with self-righteousness. Lord, thank you for the gospel that changes lives, heals and restores relationships, helps us to work things out, helps us with patience, resilience, forgiveness. We bless you today for the power of your gospel working in our lives. And we want to turn our backs today, Lord, on, on all the things that uh, diminish us, that hold us back, 
We want your gospel to infiltrate every molecule of our, of our lives. And may we be people who have drunk deeply of this good news and are transformed from the inside out. we sit, Lord, in silence and just wait on you and your spirit speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you show us the areas where fear still dominates? Whether it's financial, whether it's in some circumstance, some particular relationship, anxiety still dominates. We want to lay down our fears today. We want to lay them down and let your love invade our entire consciousness and our lives and infiltrate our lifestyles and our relationships. Come Holy Spirit, would you do that Lord? Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Can we have uh, one of the musicians come up? I'd love you guys to come and some worship. I'd, I'd love for us to just take a few moments unhurried responding to, to the Lord. Thanks, Joe. Um, I feel like uh, it's been said before, and, and the gospel makes us true, that Fortune favors the brave. And we become brave because of the love of God and because we, we know his love, and we can expect good things to flow. Fortune favors the brave. Um, <clears throat> you know, they say bears, lions, and goliaths of life will never retreat of their own accord. They must be faced. And when David faced his goliath, he got the victory. So we need to face our goliaths and our bears and our lions, the things that hold us back. I really feel like it's a gift I'd love to, to, for us to embrace today. You want to come share something? It's a gift I'd love for us to embrace today. This is the day I faced my Goliath. This is the day I stared down my bears and my lions. She was in your heart. Go for it. Um, I've just had uh, on my heart the whole service um, this, the words blame game. And I just had such a picture, and I, I think I've sp uh, spoken before about the fact that we lost a child um, who drowned in our swimming pool at home. But the picture that came to my mind was when we had pulled him out of the pool and Brian and I, my husband and I, locked eyes with each other. And we could never speak about it then because it was just such an incredibly heavy moment. But as, I think, 10 years later, I asked him what he felt in that moment. And he said to me, he wondered if our marriage was going to survive this. And I was thinking, I asked you to check on him. And in the same moment, I thought, but I could have checked on him myself. And I didn't. And I just feel like there might be people here who've been playing a blame game with each other in maybe not even such dire circumstances. And I just feel like God wants to 
come around you and just say, I love you. And we've all done things. We've all wronged each other. And I just feel God saying, I love you. There's no need for the blame game. You can take a deep breath and breathe in my love. to stay, Lord, I want to face this guy. There's this fear, there's these broken thoughts of blame and accusation that you know are terrorizing your relationship. We want to we want to pray with you and see God ushering you into a new day of freedom um, where these broken things can be put aside. Look, God, you want to share something? Okay. I just had a strong sense this morning from the prayer room um, that there are people in the church today who are afraid of this festive season. It will be your first time without your loved one, whether because of death or because of um, unforeseen circumstances. So the Lord just want to minister to you this morning. And I just feel it connect um, with what uh, Pastor is saying, um, that it's time to be prayed for and face that fear. Do not be afraid. Thanks, Connie, absolutely. It's cool. So we're going to sit before the Lord. I might feel a bit awkward, but I invite you. If you feel like, a, you know, I want to lay that relationship aside, that anxiety I've had. Uh, some of you, this year, battle financially. You battle in the work situations. We want to, we want to stand with each other in prayer and let the gospel infiltrate that. It's, it's not because, uh, you know, you can suddenly become good enough. It's God is good enough, and, and He wants to, He wants to. He, ask you to invite him in into that relationship uh, so can take a moment to that would you just come up and if somebody else if people start to come and love you others who'd like to just stand with you in prayer let's have an open ministry time across this auditorium just come and join up here and if you've done battle with anxiety and depression this year and you would like to lay that before the lord this is your moment as well god wants to set you free from all the stuff that uh, has diminished your life and your confidence and that really challenge your courage so come Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence right now. <clears throat> Thank you for what you're doing. And as people come, folk, would you uh, come and kneel here or stand in the front? Just come and pray with him. Let's just have some open time of prayer. awareness that we need him in our lives. That's how it works. So I encourage you to realize that needing this blessing of the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. And as folk are coming, when some of the others just come and pray with them, just come and join me. Come sit next to them, stand over them, pray. Ask the Lord to intervene, let the gospel infiltrate, break through. And even if you've been a leader uh, of a business you've had anxieties in your business situation, we would like to pray for you for courage to come. Courage of knowing that God actually says, I delight to do you good. I delight to do you good. We don't want to be in a hurry about this, so just inviting people to come.
just spend time praying with each of these. If you could do that first now, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's come as a deliverer today. He's come to set people free. Don't need to try and be more profound or intense. Uh, you can just come and say, Lord, would you, what do you want to say to this person? How would you have me pray? And he will lead you, eh? Let's just encourage you. We've got a number of people that still need others to come and pray with him. Would you come and join me? Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this house today. Thank you for what you're doing in this season today, Lord. Thank you. You come as the, the deliverer, setting people free. such a whether someone's whether someone's with you or not uh, know the power of God is in this house God is here today to do some amazing things that's what he wants to do in your life this is a, a moment when the gospel will infiltrate and transform what was and you walk out of this place he's turned the page he's turned a new chapter it's not the same old same old anymore year in and year out the same family dynamic or the same anxiety God wants to set you free from that about a, a restoration and a healing. Um, is it on? Yeah, just as I felt the Holy Spirit moving, um, God just said to me that this year has been a hard year. It's been hard for people. And just listening to what the prophetic words coming out are saying is that next year is going to be harder. And I was like, God, how are we going to withstand this? just said to me, I will not stop my manifest goodness towards my people. My manifest goodness will show. Yes, Lord. will show in my people's lives and people will be drawn to me because of my goodness. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. So I just wanted to encourage you, if you feel like you're stepping into hard things or going through hard situations, God, manifest goodness, hold on to that. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. what you're doing, Lord. He daily bears our burdens. That's what he does. He's the ever-present help in time of trouble. And we want to give these things to God. And we walk out of this place free. You're not going to carry it because you're giving it to the Lord. You're handing it over today. This is a handover moment. Hand this over. Hand that family over. Hand that anxiety over. See what God will do. you sitting out there just pray for those in the front there's a lot of very significant things happening would you just join me quietly praying for these up front either come forward or just pray from where you are but let's ask God to effect this handover every anxiety hand it over thank you Lord presence to thank you for your presence in this house and while people continue praying Lord we 
trusting you for great peace that passes understanding to come upon them. Great peace. And we receive the gift of fellowship as well as we enjoy this time together. So if you want to do that, you can drift over to the coffee shop. If you're a visitor, make sure you go and take your slip in there and your contact slip and uh, pick up a free coffee or tea. Let's see what God's going to continue doing while we let these in the front just receive prayer. But feel free to go and enjoy some fellowship over tea and coffee and don't be in a hurry. Thank you. God bless.